The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to Episode 11 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania and to explore their solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. An uncommon distinction, I would say. We have a very authoritarian episode planned for you today. And like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we have an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Do it because you are an integral part of every episode. And you can always listen in afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, or whatever your favorite podcast provider may be. Today for the you part of the Pennsylvania Project, we have a whole bunch of new questions. One on reducing the size of the statehouse. Police on Facebook, police in the rural hinterlands, and one of my favorite, the Constitution, Pennsylvania Constitution. After that, part two is all about them. Each episode, we host a ghost, a ghost, a guest, (laughs) he's not a ghost yet, a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Today, our guest is flat out political. Jim from the Pennsylvania National Guard, recently retired. Hi. I can. Hey. After that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it's my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and I'll be focusing on some particular issue that sticks in my craw. The last two episodes, I spoke of the government killing citizens. Today, it's payback time. I'm going to talk about jury duty. And throughout the show, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to narrate our live commercials and whatever comes into our mailbag. Today, we have with us Toastmaster Angie Wee. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Angie. Hi, Ken. Nice to be here. I'm glad to have you here. I love having the Toastmasters here. Toastmasters changed my life, so I'm more than happy to help others along the way. But let's right dig, dig right into that mailbag. And remember, the mission here is not just to complain, but also to explore solutions. So what do we have today, Angie? Okay, from Matt Balsa, Philadelphia. Question is, do you have an opinion on HB 153? about reducing the size of the state house by cutting it in half. This is the first I'm hearing about it, but seems like something we should oppose as it would make it even more difficult to campaign in new larger districts. I'm curious to hear thoughts. Hmm. Well, the short answer is I'm against it. And you're right. Not only would reducing the size of the General Assembly make it more difficult to campaign, what I don't like about it is it would concentrate power in the hands of fewer people. Because right now, each state rep represents about 60,000 voters. But if you cut the size of the legislature in half, that means each legislator would represent 120,000 voters. That would make these politicians half as accountable as they currently are and a lot less responsive. It would also reduce the diversity of the pool of new ideas in the state house because you've got fewer people. It would also make it easier to pass bills. Now, some people may think that's a good thing to pass more bills, but we libertarians, we know for the disaster that it can sure be. Let me quote Mark Twain. 
No man's life, liberty, or property are safe while the legislature is in session. So we don't want them to pass more laws. We'd like to throw in some roadblocks if we could. Now, they say reducing the size of the legislature can save money but because fewer legislators would cost less. But I see that as nothing but a shell game because the calls to reduce the size of government make it appear like the state is embracing fiscal sanity, but the savings are nominal, almost zero compared to the rest of the state budget. I took a look, and according to the House Appropriations Committee, they spend about 10 to $15 million a year on each on legislator total out of an $84 billion budget. Now you do the math in your head, what's that come out to? Less than tenth of a percent. Now, Matt, if we really wanted to save taxpayer dollars, what we should do is cut the perks that these legislators give themselves. Things like free pensions, health care, just those two things. That's over $50 million. We could save three times the amount just by getting rid of those two things, by the way, which are unconstitutional. There's also free office space, free cars, walking around money. All of it's unconstitutional. Let's just take it all away from them. And we really should because my friend, the Constitution, or Pennsylvania Constitution, Article 2, Section 8 says, quote, the members of the General Assembly shall receive salary and mileage for regular and special sessions as shall be fixed by law and no other compensation whatever. And that emphasis is mine, by the way. So they should get a salary and mileage. But they're getting a lot more. As I said, they get the pensions, the health care, the office space. They get cars. And the salary, $87,000 a year they're getting. And it's a 17-week session. Where do I get that job? 17, 17 weeks, 87,000? Let's cut that in half. We could save a lot more that way, right? So the best way to save money is not by cutting the legislature in half. Just end the unconstitutional perks and we'll save a lot more. But heaven forbid anybody would ever think of following the plain language of the Constitution. So bottom line, rather than changing the Constitution to make the legislature smaller, let's follow the Constitution we already have and save tons more money not to mention getting better government. Okay, second email from Lycoming County, Stan asks, the governor just recently announced two bills, one in the House and one in the Senate that would require people living in areas covered solely by state police to pay a protection fee. What are your opinions on this? A protection fee, sounds like a protection racket. Well, you know, the topic of paying for the state police came up in episode six of the Pennsylvania Project, but from a different angle. Back then, the issue was about the state police getting a whole bunch of the gas tax money that's supposed to go for road repair. As it turns out, in 2017, about two-thirds of the state police budget came from the gas tax, and it's almost one-third of the total gas revenues. But Pennsylvania Constitution Article 8, Section 11 says all proceeds from gasoline, etc. I'm not going to read the whole thing shall be used for solely for construction, reconstruction, maintenance, and repair of public highways and bridges, and shall not be diverted by transfer or otherwise to any other purpose. Solely for? It's not the way it's done. I just checked a quarter billion dollars out of that fund goes for schools. Now, what does that have to do about building bridges? Maybe metaphorical bridges, I don't know. Mass transit. There's a whole bunch of that money that the gas tax is using that is clearly unconstitutional. But Paying the state police, to my reading, is definitely constitutional. Now, Governor Wolf, his plan says it's supposed to raise $100 million. And if he's going to do that, geez, if he wanted, 
eliminate the unconstitutional uses of the gas tax, you'd raise a lot more than $100 million. And I don't have the total number of that. But you'll bring in five, ten times the amount that Wolf's tax would bring in. And, you know, I'm not surprised that he's saying yet another tax. You know, over the last 50 years, the cost of government in Pennsylvania has been rising at more than three times the rate of inflation for over 50 years. It doesn't matter if it's a Democrat, Republican. The direction is always up, 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 up. Obviously, it's not, not going to happen. So what's the solution here? You know, it's like with, with reducing the size of the legislature to try and save money. Rather than yet another tax, let's follow the Constitution, what the, it says about the, the gas, gas tax. If we follow that, we'll save tons more money, and then it won't be a question of taxing more people, more taxes, more spending. Well, Rob Fleming from Montgomery County wrote, I think the biggest issue is a lack of respect for the Constitution. <laughs> we need to follow the Constitution and bring common sense back to Pennsylvania and the U.S. Oh, man. Rob, that is music to my ears. Because, you know, I had a question in Episode 9 about what's the Pennsylvania's greatest problem. And I said the same thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. The root cause of so many of Pennsylvania's problems is ignorance and disrespect to the Pennsylvania Constitution. Because the Pennsylvania Constitution is constantly being ignored, violated, gutted. I mean, ignored, because it's not being taught in our schools. I never learned it. Everybody I ask, I mean, maybe one out of a thousand may have learned it in school. And you know, it's funny because the state has absolute control over the schools, and they're not teaching our kids the Constitution. Good grief. So it's being ignored. It's being violated. Two old parties violated all the time. I, last couple questions pointed out how they're violating first part about the gas tax and the other one they're violating it the reason why they're getting away with it because they've never been taught people just don't know don't know they're doing the cops are doing wrong politicians are doing wrong so it's being ignored it's being violated and it's being gutted because it's not being enforced by the judges one after the other they let them get away with it and I can go on about that good grief so how do we res restore respect the Pennsylvania Constitution? You know, I, I started putting together an answer for that, and I wound up with a half-hour discussion. <laughs> I said, you know, let me save that for one of the times that something's going to stick in my craw, Pennsylvania Constitution, because I have a plan. I have a plan for what we can do about that, but let's, let's leave it at that right now. I don't want to tip my hand yet. All right. Bob Small from Delaware County sent a question. How do the libertarians approach this latest controversy with the Philly police and York police and Facebook? Hmm. An interesting question. You tell the guy's not a libertarian because otherwise he'd know the answer. We libertarians believe you have the right to live your life your way without interference provided only that you respect the rights and property of others. So anytime you ask what's a libertarian think, you just go back to that philosophical touchstone. But let me, let me address his question. But just some background in case you haven't been paying attention. There's a group called Injustice Watch. They've been investigating social media around the country as it's being used by police. And they found out, found all sorts of nasty posts by the cops. Racial and religious bigotry, violence against women, against immigrants, protesters, and a whole lot more. Good grief. And roughly one-third of the thousand Philly cops they reviewed were posting troubling content. Now, I, I would like to see what 
what it was, because sometimes somebody says something is troubling that I don't think is troubling. But I did look at some of them, and some of them were, were definitely troubling, especially the ones that are religious and against the immigrants. Well, Bob, this is, this is not a libertarian issue, because the policy of the police department is clear. I went and looked that one up. That kind of nonsense, it just doesn't fly. It's against the police policy. And I don't see why it should fly anyway. This is the 21st century. You know, all that stuff should be behind us. And I think by their behavior, the cops have left, left themselves open to disciplinary action under those policies. And I think if found guilty, they should bear the cost. And that's true not just for cops. That's true for everybody who works or has an employer. Either you follow the rules or you go find another job. But the biggest troubling side of this is that these 300-plus cops identified by Injustice Watch, they're out there to protect the very people they love to demean. I'm not sure we want that sort of a person as a cop, you know? But let me jump in there. Be my first to say, by my own experience, I went to the Abington Citizens Police Academy, and it, generally I have found that cops are above all of that. Well, apparently not all of them. Well, I don't know. Just to sum it up, I think if they're found guilty, I think people of all political persuasions, not just libertarians, would agree, can their butts, unless they're racist, homophobe, persuasions. Can their butts. Well, you know, I think that that should do it for the you portion of the show because we're going to pause for this information and when we return, we'll be talking with Jim of the Pennsylvania National Guard and after that, something that really sticks in my craw, jury duty. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, caster for the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader? Communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning public speaking and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters, and now I have my own radio show. So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact the club nearest you. Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org.
Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the Them portion of episode 11 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. My guest today, as I said, is all political. His name is Jim from the Pennsylvania National Guard. He's been in for a long time, 15 years of service, highest rank so far, as captain, served a combat tour in Iraq, mobilized in support of Hurricane Katrina, thank you very much, and he participated in numerous state activations, including Hurricane Sandy, innumerable snowstorms, a presidential inauguration, a papal visit, and so much more. Sounds like a really busy guy. Jim, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for having me. Uh, man, an actual former captain? Yeah. I, should I salute or just... No, I'm out now. I, I just, all right, so I don't have to stand up or anything like that. <laughs> no, you're good. I was actually 4F. And a lot of people don't know what 4F is anymore. It's a the draft. qualified for service. That's right. The military classification back in the days of the slave arms. I mean, back in the days of the draft <laughs> meant unfit for military duty. My doctor rocked. I, I needed a note. He said, do you want to get in or do you want to stay out? <laughs> and I wish I had that note. Man, oh, man. Now, you're with the Pennsylvania National Guard. What's, what's the difference between that and, say, the Army? Well, it was with the Pennsylvania National Guard. The... Um the National Guard is a reserve component, so they only work uh, one week in the month, two weeks out of the year. Um, the difference between the National Guard and the reserve is that the National Guard works for the state. They work for the governor. Okay. Is he your commander-in-chief? Uh, effectively within the state, yes, but ultimately um, all of our equipment and most of our funding is federal. So wow. um, you know, we can get activated by, uh, by federal authority at any time. Well, well you, as you know, I think you know, I ran for governor of Pennsylvania in 2018. I do. And so as governor, I would only have so much authority over them? Right. Uh, essentially, the National Guard Bureau uh, is part of the Pentagon. And hmm. they, so, so they work with the, with the active duty Army in terms of the integration of the National Guard into the Army. So they have a lot of um, authority over what goes on. And the governor can, can step in and pull his weight to try to enforce policies that he likes. For example, um, a previous governor did that with the closing of the Willow Grove uh, Naval Air Station. Uh-huh. So we have um, uh, some Air National Guard and Army National Guard um, units on that base, and the base was set to be completely closed. Mm-hmm. And the governor stepped in and petitioned for it to remain open. And it's it still is. M- much of it is still uh, working it's in a reduced capacity, but there are still units based there. Yep. Okay. But how much... How much ordering authority does he have? Like, for example, if you were still on active duty, could he walk up to you and say, Jim, give me a cup of coffee? And you'd have no choice. Right. I, mean, I guess he could. I've never seen that happen. He oh, always I has would. his own assistant with him. <laughs> and he doesn't drink coffee. No, I don't know what he does or do, doesn't do. I don't know about that. No, I guess I'm looking at it. I'm taking it in, in small steps. If he can do that, then could he say, like, for example, you were mobilized to go help with Katrina. Again, I'll say it. Thank you very much for that. My daughter was caught down in there. She was in New Orleans when it hit. Oh, yeah? Yep. But anyway, uh, so I assume it was somebody at the federal government who said, Jim, get your butt down to New Orleans. I actually don't know who was in charge. That was when uh, I, I was pretty new to the, to the service at the time. And all I know is my captain called me and said, Jim. We're going to Katrina. You're on your way. <laughs> yeah, report to the base now, now. Could the governor step in and tell your captain, no, leave these guys at home? Jim's got to be a guest on my show. You can't take him down to New Orleans now. I, I guess he could. Um, I, I don't think he'd want to stop that. Uh-huh. He's no, that's, much, much higher authority than my captain was. That's true. Oh, that's true. The captain is only one person in the chain. Yes. Yep. Yeah, the, the governor, though, is theoretically the commander-in-chief. In fact, it says that 
mm-hmm. my constitution. I should have looked that up. There's an Article 9, I'm guessing. It might be 8. Now 9 is taxation and finance. I'm not going to look it up right now. I'll wait for the next commercial. We'll, um, right. As you governor, you'd be Great. able to appoint the uh, adjutant general of Pennsylvania, which would be the um, you know, highest ranking person for the National Guard, both Army and Air National Guard. Uh, you looking for state. a job? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think the requirements is just serve 10 years as an officer. Uh-huh. There you go. Would, were you 10 years as an officer? Or it's just, I was. You were. Oh, man. You demand that. <laughs> I have to get your phone number before we go away. Now, when you're when you're mobilized, you, you just don't know. You get a call out of the blue and off you go. Yeah, for, for that one, that was very sudden. That uh-huh. one, we got a call. We reported. They gave us vaccines, whether we needed them or not. <laughs> and we uh, headed down. Uh-huh. Interesting. Now, how much how much choice? You you really don't have any choice at all in that. You're no, you, you don't have a choice. Uh, but um, you know, for those of us, uh, you know, since we're only working one week in a month, two weeks out of the year, we also have full time jobs, full time civilian jobs, uh, while we're there. But uh, we're protected from those jobs, so you know they have to let us go when we get mobilized. And at the completion of that, they have to you know, give you your position back. Uh-huh. Now, does that apply to all companies? Like, for example, I'm a small employer. Mm-hmm. You know, I only have a couple of people working for me. What if it's just me and all of a sudden I get mobilized? No, it doesn't. You can uh, petition with your um, unit to be excused because of that uh, hardship, though. Uh-huh. Interesting. I'm not sure I could I could fit into a military organization too well. I'm, <laughs> I have too much, of the, too much of my father's stubbornness in me. Well, you don't need to. You can be the, the governor. You yeah, can be the commander-in-chief. I, I just got to get elected first. That's the hard part. <laughs> now, when when you get mobilized, well, let me back up. You had mentioned something before about the feds. They own the equipment, and the state owns the buildings? Uh, yeah, I'm not exactly sure about the buildings, but uh, I believe they, they are state property, the uh, the buildings. Uh-huh. Well, how, how does that work? I mean, I no suppose, <laughs> suppose the... You know, like, for example, take a, a simpler analogy. You got a car on a highway, mm-hmm. right? You own the car and the state owns the highway. And yep. State can say, get your car off my highway. So can the, can the state say to the feds, you know, get your ammo out of my building? I don't know. We kind of like the ammo. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that should be pretty good. Um, I don't know. I guess I have all kinds of questions about, <clears throat> excuse me, about how they, how they fit together. So if, if they have most of the material, I guess they got the, the jump jets and everything, the A-10 warthogs and all? I don't know if we still have those in Pennsylvania. I mean, that's the Air, Air National Guard, and I've been in Army. Oh, okay. I should get somebody else on here. Yeah, I know we used to have them. Um, they used to be at Willow Grove. Uh-huh. I don't know where they are now. So who's paying for all this? Uh, for the training funds, then that comes out of federal. But if it's a state activation, that comes for, uh, from state money unless it gets declared a federal emergency. If it declares a federal emergency, then 75% of the bill is picked up by the federal government, and the state only has to pay 25%. Uh-huh. Now, unless our troops are supporting another state. So, for example, during Sandy, we went to New York and uh-huh. New Jersey. Um, those states would pay for that. Okay, so is the that's a federal mobilization going mm, to for Sandy? It's still a state. It's, a, it's called an inter, interstate uh, contract. Uh-huh. Okay, so we would be wind up. We would wind up paying twenty five percent of that, and Jersey would be paying seventy five percent. No, Jersey would pay all of it. Jersey pay all of it. Yes, that makes sense. But in that case, that one was declared uh, a federal one, so Jersey would only pay twenty five percent. The federal picked that up, but that would be based on uh, 
the state of emergency declared by um, uh, the federal government for New Jersey. Uh-huh. And you know that a piece just clicked into place in my mind there. That's why they're always clamoring to have it declared a federal emergency and a federal disaster and everything like that. Right, it is, because that way it keeps uh, the state budget um, from being hurt too much. <laughs> well, it's still going to get hurt, but, you know. So so when you were helping down there in Katrina, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania didn't bear any of that burden. No. And same thing with Sandy. Well, let me get the rest of the list. The presidential inauguration, that's probably the papal visit. Combat tour in Iraq. Wow. That one's definitely federal. Yeah, it sure <laughs> is. And that's getting outside of uh, the, our typical subject matter because we like to concentrate strictly on Pennsylvania things. Sure. So, I don't know, let's get a couple couple stories. You know, do you have any interesting stories of interesting deployments you may have been on or seen or heard about? Well, I remember some stories with uh, uh, state activations, for example, uh, there was one disaster. I don't know if this was National Guard um, fault or if it was actually the state, but I remember there was a snowstorm um, maybe about six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone was downplaying how bad it was going to be. Oh, we don't need to activate for that. We don't need to send troops over there. Sure enough, the, the, the storm hit and the uh, the turnpike, uh, the traffic on that, you know, some couple of tractor trailers got stuck. People ended up being stuck out there for days. Uh-huh. Trying I, to, trying to get I remember off. that. I think it was Interstate 78. That backed up. Maybe it was another time. Yeah, you know, it might have been might have been seventy eight. I actually wasn't there for, for for that one, but I I always remember hearing that story. <laughs> I was about to say, where were you? <laughs> and there's always different blame put on on whether it was uh, the governor's office for not uh, being prepared for that, or whether it was National Guard for not, you know, being prepared to be activated for it. But mm-hmm. you know, after that, I remember uh, any time it was going to be more than six inches, we would be ready, ready to mobilize. Well. Six inches is not a lot, especially in Pennsylvania. Right, and that happens a lot. You know, it, it depends on where you are. You know, six inches in uh, in Philly can be uh, a lot more significant than six inches in Erie. Uh huh. Because I in just a what three months ago I was out on the Appalachian Trail mm-hmm. and it was in winter time. And while I was there, a snowstorm hit. It's a lot of fun, you know. So you hunker down, you put up a tarp, get a lot of firewood, build a big fire, make sure the beer doesn't freeze on you. Yeah. <laughs> And moved Can't have in. Beer freezing. You gotta switch to whiskey. Ah, uh, well, we've actually been on trips where whiskey has frozen, and I checked wow. it out. It's, yeah, it's about minus fifteen, minus twenty. The Jack Daniels turned to slush. Hmm. That was that was an interesting trip. <laughs> That's probably the coldest I've been out. Twenty below. We were just out a couple of years ago. Went down to thirteen below. Ooh. Yeah. And you got to sleep with your beers because they they freeze at about ten or fifteen degrees. You can't have the beer frozen. That's terrible. No, no. So you put them in your sleeping bag. So you wake up in the morning, you got the beer right there. It's That's all, very smart. It's very handy too. <laughs> but anyway, backing up, we're getting we're getting off track here. So when they mobilize you for the snow, I mean, you can't get around anywhere. Well, sure. Some of our vehicles are, are quite capable of, of moving, and a lot of it is mostly keeping people from making uh, terrible decisions, like trying to drive their uh, Toyota Prius on the turnpike. So oftentimes, uh, you know, most of our missions will be just setting up a Humvee at an on-ramp, preventing people from getting onto an already uh, jammed highway. How kind of authority do you have to stop people from doing it? Do you have any kind of control over the, over the citizens? Uh, we can. Uh, we can be activated and we can be deputized by, um, by local police or uh, sheriff's state police. Uh, ultimately, we generally don't do that. Um, Essentially, we have a, a loose working relationship with 
uh, the local authorities because they're actually the ones uh-huh. in charge. The, um, the National Guard soldiers are more of a, you know, in addition to them. So we don't work for them, but we help them in their mission. So if they tell us to, to block a highway, they don't really have authority to order us to do that, but they'll request it, uh-huh. and then we'll, you know, we can we can do that. They have, but it's it's tricky because there's no real chain of command that says you know they can do this, they uh-huh. can do that. But well, I think they have the authority to shut down the highways. They do. So and you're just there helping them. They're de- you're deputized. Right. Yeah. You you put a, a Humvee in that that physically prevents them from getting on there. And <laughs> what it's are they going to do? You don't. Yeah. Call the cops. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing with me after I went through the police academy. I was more of an auxiliary, not a, not a full officer, but I, would, I was able to help out with all kinds of situations like that. And I was very uncomfortable where I was in situations where I was actually telling people to do stuff because I'm not a telling people to do stuff. I'm a libertarian, you know, your life, your way. Yeah, it's interesting. Usually it's, you know, it's, it's better for you if you do what we're asking you to do. But, <laughs> you know, if you want to be stubborn, then that's up to you yeah. and maybe the... State trooper can <laughs> well, you know, be more forceful. That's probably a good place to pause because I think I want to follow up a little more on that. My guest today is Jim from the Pennsylvania National Guard, and you're listening to Episode 11 of the Pennsylvania Project. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and we'll be right back after this information. Do you need a state inspection, emissions <laughs> testing, tires, brakes, exhaust, suspension work, or routine factory scheduled maintenance? For all your automotive service needs, visit Wallace Auto Service at 700 East Haverford Road in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Wallace Auto even has a Phillips 66 gas station where you can fill up at great low prices. Check out Wallace Auto online at wallaceautoservice.com or call them at 610-658-9000. For over 16 years, Wallace Auto... Wallace Auto Service has been proud to serve the Bryn Mawr, Haverford area. Stop in, say hello, and fill up your tank at Wallace's great low prices. That's Wallace Auto Service and Phillips 66 Gas Station at 700 East Haverford Road in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, or give them a call at 610-658-9000. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up that one regretful choice. Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, Pennsylvania at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with the design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267 267- Eight, we rock, or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Are you a small business owner? Always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new for referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate at least five to ten customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Steve will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stevenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y dot com. Are you arranging your finances in the most efficient way possible? Call Freedom Finance Tax at 866-401-1090 today to find out. 
At Freedom Financial Tax, we use creative tax solutions like infinite banking to make sure you're keeping as much of your hard-earned money as possible. Let Freedom Financial Tax help you out with a comprehensive tax plan. Call Freedom Financial Tax now at 866-401-1090. And now back to you, Ken. Thank you very much, Angie. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and we're back with episode 11 of the Pennsylvania Project, and we're back with our guest. He hasn't run out the door either. I'm still waiting for somebody to give up and run away. And he's Jim of the Pennsylvania National Guard, formerly a captain, and now sitting on the other side of the table smiling at me. Jim, I'm glad to see you didn't run away. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, likewise. And, you know, I took a look at my Constitution, and I'm surprised I didn't know it off the top of my head. It's Article 4, Section 7. Military power is the title. Of course. Quote, the governor shall be commander-in-chief of the military forces of the Commonwealth. There you go. Except when they shall be called into actual service of the United States. Yeah, that seems like how I remembered it. <laughs> yeah, so the question becomes, what does it mean to be called into actual service as compared to pseudo-service or fake service or maybe service? I don't know. I really don't know. I'm just guessing between the federal and state activation. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But it certainly answers my question that if, if your boss tells you to go to New Orleans for Katrina, you're, I really can't step in there because you've now been called into actual service of the United States. Oh, no, wait a minute. That could be state to state. That was state to state. Yes. Right. So that works on interstate uh, uh, agreements. So uh -huh. they would send their request to Pennsylvania, and the Pennsylvania governor and uh, adjutant general would um, – uh, essentially fulfill that crest or can uh -huh. decline that request actually hmm. it is new jersey no it should be nicer than new jersey <laughs> it's, it's a terrible state in terms of their constitution and their police force I'm yes telling yes you. it is that i see people pulled over and searched and everything it's i'm glad i'm in pennsylvania born and raised native pennsylvania glad to be here definitely now there's something i was going to going to segue off of that oh yeah the when you were talking about state to state yes. doing these different things so then for Katrina the governor could step in yes and say don't do it yes yes they could the governor can say no we're not gonna we're not gonna fulfill that and they'll reach to one of the other uh, states mm -hmm. to fulfill that requirement now I heard in the news I guess it wasn't that long ago where the governor of California mm -hmm. said that they weren't going to do anything with Trump's wall with the uh, enforcing immigration laws or anything like that and question is he got, can he get away with that because Trump wanted to mobilize the California National Guard to go patrol the border and the governor said no well you know maybe their constitution is different I must admit I have never even read California Constitution and they're different because they're under Spanish common law whereas mm. most of the country is under English common law except Louisiana because they're right. under French common law yes so it could be that there's all kinds of funny Funny connections there. While je parle un peu français, très mal. I don't know enough about their common law. No. Hmm. Good thought. I have to research that one. I don't believe they use common law at all. Well, no, there's, a, there's an awful lot of common law. In fact, I'm going to be talking, when I talk about jury duty, when something sticks in my craw at the end of the show, that, that comes under common law. Hmm because that's where jury duty originated. And I'm going to start where I always start with the Pennsylvania Constitution, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Sure. I guess I'm still concerned about the... The, the California whole, could do that. What? No. 
I'm, oh, okay. I'm concerned in Pennsylvania oh, about the chain of command and about when the governor can step in and how much control. I mean, people are always worried about, I mean, there are some preppers who are worried about the FEMA stepping in and setting up FEMA camps here and impressing all the people and sticking them in these camps and everything. Sure. And how would the how would the Pennsylvania National Guard fit into that? It sounds like they would have, if the federal government came in and started doing it, you would have to do it. I don't know. It would be a, a, a difficult situation because, you know, there's yes. still a chain of command within Pennsylvania. And that chain of command goes up, you know, through the adjutant general of Pennsylvania to the governor. So if that chain of command is saying something different, then, you know, we would do that. Uh-huh. And, you know, so if the governor, you know, the, the governor can, whether he legally can stop that or not, effectively, mm. effectively he can until he gets forced not to. It would be interesting. It would cause a bit of a constitutional crisis. Yes, it would. Interesting. I'm going to double down on my efforts now to get elected governor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I don't want to back up to something else we were talking about, who's sure. paying for what. Yes. Have you, do you have the $60,000 toilet seats in the Pennsylvania National Guard? Uh, the ones I've seen didn't look like they cost that much. Well, I used to work for for the Navy, and mm-hmm. I can tell you that a lot of the stuff they pay top dollar for does not look like it's worth bottom dollar. Right. Yeah. Federal contracting, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, contracting through the state is, is really a pain. You know, you know exactly what you want, but you can't have the contracting office go and just buy that. You have to write up a detailed description of what you want. Huh. So essentially, if, if there's only one product that would work, you have to open the manual of that, look at its specifications, write those down in a work order, give it to the contracting office, can't mention it by name, and hope that they order the right thing. Good grief. So you have to give a general description saying, well, it's got to be pointy on one end and have a brass case on the other end with some gunpowder in between, and it's got to be 2.233 millimeters across. And, <laughs> and then after that, they got to say, ah, he wants some AR ammo. Well, we generally don't buy ammunition with it, but if we're buying a piece of uh, technical equipment, we have to tell what capabilities we want it to do, and then they'll go and, and purchase it. Uh-huh. And sometimes... Uh, you know, you'll get the, if you're not specific enough or if the contracting office doesn't read it well enough, you'll get something that doesn't work and you've just wasted the money. Oh, man. And, uh, and I used to work for the government, like I said, and I've seen an awful lot of, awful lot of this wasted stuff. What's the most outrageous waste of money that you'd seen? That Put on the I've spot seen, here. I've seen, um, what was it, a piece of, they, they built a new building to do uh, emergency operations for uh, the Pennsylvania National Guard. And the building's really nice, but they um, missed a lot of pieces for that. So a lot of capabilities don't work. So there's an antenna on the old building that they didn't move to the new one. (laughs) Oops. Right, and so that that capability doesn't work. The uh, capability to use the 800 megahertz radio system throughout the state of Pennsylvania doesn't work at the command center. (laughs) So so they've been working for years to to, to try to fix that. Uh-huh. And it's extremely expensive when it's something that could have just easily been rolled into the the building of the new building, but it, but it was not. Oh man! And so now they're still working. They're going to spend you know, quite a lot of money, probably, uh, probably north of fifty thousand dollars to get it to work. Well, do you know when when I was working with, with the Navy? This is a number of years ago now. One of the things that you you would measure your success by was how big your budget was. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I imagine it's the same thing with the. National Guard? Right, that's very true there, because uh, there's a lot of different offices and a lot of uh, different um, projects going on, 
And the way success is often measured is um, uh, in terms of how much more money you can get allocated to your thing, how many more people you can get hired to your, to your, um, you know, to whatever your uh, operation is. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of efficiency, you know, get, be, becoming efficient and actually reducing costs and reducing personnel, you know, that that's for, not going to mark it. you for success. Yeah, I know. Good grief. And the guy behind you is going to be all annoyed with you because, oh, what you did, you got rid of half my budget. Yeah. Good grief. So what would be the solution? I mean, how would you get around that? He's shaking his head at me. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's difficult. Essentially, you need to well, uh, been find, the, out, find out what You were a captain, man. You, everything, goes be, by, everything goes by need. So you can't purchase anything unless you need it. And so everything comes down to justifying why you need it. Even though you just want it, uh-huh. you, ju- you have to organize it to where you where you need it and there are a lot of things that they that they do need and need to spend money on uh-huh. you know the, the technology that's around you know to make things more efficient sometimes you have to spend money on the infrastructure to make things work but there's a lot of things that uh you know you know good idea fairy gets into someone's head and say hey we should buy this piece of equipment and then it's it's completely useless hmm. and so we have this fancy piece of equipment that has no purpose nice and, you, and it gets handed down to other people yeah, it just stays on property seats, and people yeah. inventory it, and it's it's there. Because I know Abington Police Department, we, we have a tank that we got from the federal government. Oh, cool. What kind? Uh, it's a Dodge, 1972 Dodge with an armored <laughs> bottom, and top is all replaced and everything like that. Oh, and when they fun. gave it to us, it had no tires. <laughs> we said, well, you can have the tank, but you have to come up with your own tires for it. You know? So it winds up getting handed down. That's why the Air, Army Air Guard mm-hmm. has the old Warthogs because nobody else wants them. Mm. It's something they can still fly around and, and play with. Now, one thing you and I were talking about beforehand, before we went on the show, was about how the, the National Guard can be more of a model for the U.S. Army to follow, specifically the, the periodic deployments to let people have a regular job. Right. Well, it's just the, the, the active duty Army, you know, the federal government, they, um, you know, they're full-time jobs you know they work that job and do nothing about that they train train for years you know when there's no war going on which which hasn't happened in a, you know quite a while oh yes or at least no, some type of no conflict but if we're in a, a a peaceful state then um you know essentially they're training for years and years and years and never actually do anything combat whereas in the national guard and the reserves they still train to the same uh technical points as the active duty counterparts they're only doing it one week in a month two weeks out of the year and they have you know productive um, you know jobs in the civilian world in the meantime, uh-huh. and it just seems like a, a more efficient model in terms of uh, spending for you know um, you know for a, a standing a military force because even within the National Guard there's still a skeleton structure that is full time. You still uh-huh. need to have full time personnel right. to do uh, administrative and logistical work and even to uh, you know plan operations. So you still need full-time, but, you know, it could be uh, much less mm-hmm. of full-time and a lot more part-time. So are you, you thinking that we should change how the Army is put together now instead of having them train, 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 train? I think we should definitely reduce the full-time force. Uh-huh. Reduce it in terms of number? Or in, ter- in, in terms, terms of, of manpower, in terms of spending. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, it's the, the, the budget is, is really inflated. That's true. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's keep this back in Pennsylvania here. Right. And... You know, we talk about these different deployments. You've done some pretty amazing things. And, you know, it's people like you who, who help life go on and for the rest of us bums. Have you ever done anything on, on a personal level, like 
gone in and rescued one person or National Guard going to rescue one person? Yeah, I've actually seen that one time during a, a snowstorm. There was uh, a child, I believe it was an infant, but I'm not sure the exact age, that needed to get to a hospital for a surgery. I believe it was a planned surgery, but it was something very important like heart surgery. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe it was in northeastern PA, and they needed to get to the hospital, but there's like 18 inches of snow on the ground, and they couldn't move. So this request comes into the, um, you know, the county. The county sends it up to the state, and that comes to the National Guard and all other agencies. And so everyone, every agency that hears about this wants to get involved with this to get some good <laughs> uh, publicity. So it ended up being escorted by uh, Pennsylvania National Guard, by state police, <laughs> by fire. There, there's, there's a huge escort, and there's a, yeah, I mean, it was, it was an excellent snow. operation. You know, got, got the little... Got the little kid to the hospital to get his uh, life-saving surgery. I was going to ask, <laughs> and, and and everything worked. But it, it worked out more of a publicity stunt for pretty much every organization involved. And then they use that to get more money to drive up the taxes. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a feel-good story. After that, then you really you know see the people can get the feel-good story to to see how their uh, emergency dollars are being spent. Uh-huh. Do you know I feel like one of the network news shows here because they always like to end their shows on some feel-good story. Yeah. Because uh, we have run out of time. I mean, it goes very, very, very quickly. Yes. Uh, Jim, is there anything else you want to add that we haven't touched on? Oh, no, I just want to say thank you for having me. Oh, man, no, thanks a lot. Because I had a lot of questions about it. And obviously, if I'm thinking of running for governor, the more background information I have on these things, the better. I learned a few things. which is So just from my point of view, it's worth having you. Excellent. So that's going to about wrap it up for the them portion of the show. Thanks again to my guest, Captain Jim of the Pennsylvania National Guard, for appearing on the Pennsylvania Project. Do we call that an appearance? We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really, really sticks in my craw. Jury duty. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Angie, how's it going? Hey, could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go on a 1099 contractor. So? So, what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax. Uh, Better things to do than figuring out the tax laws and filling out all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's that damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them. And when your client pays them, they pay you minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes? All the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N dot com. One call does it all. You've been a registered libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and join the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march toward liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. It all starts with joining the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. 
So visit lppa.org to sign up today. That's lppa.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Hey, Ken Crosshock here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode 11 of the Pennsylvania Project, my favorite part where I get to rant a bit about something that really sticks in my craw. You know what really sticks in my craw? Jury duty. Not so much the jury duty itself, but the bad rap the jury duty always seems to get. But more importantly, I want to focus on the reason why it gets a bad rap. Of course, we all know what jury duty is. You get a notice from the county, the state, the feds, or whoever, and you have to take off work. Maybe you pick for a trial, and if that happens, all bets are off. Could be a day, could be forever. You don't know when you're going to be getting back from it. So much for your career, your family, your life. Yeah, and I thought Captain Jim thought he had it bad, right? (laughs) And you know, even worse, for some unspoken reason, all of your inalienable rights go out the window. You have to answer questions. You have to do things that they're saying, even though you're not a criminal. Or at least that's what they want you to believe. Right? And they and they get really nasty about it, too. Oh, if you don't show up, contempt of court, $500 fine, 10 days in jail. And then there's the insult of what they pay you for it. Can you believe it? I don't know. Here in Montgomery County, I think it varies from county to county. You get $9 a day. $9. It won't even buy you two beers, right? And that's for the first three days. Then it's up at $25 a day after that. Boy, $25 a day, that's really good pay, right? And then if you have to drive back and forth, IRS will give you, what, 50, 55 cents a mile? No, not the county. 17 cents a mile. Good grief. No wonder jury duty gets such a bad rap. It's like they deliberately want to make it horrible. Hmm. You know, I'm not a conspiracy guy, but it does make you wonder especially in light of Pennsylvania Constitution, what it says. I see you smiling. You know I was going to get Pennsylvania Constitution, right? Article 1, Section 6, cryptically says, quote, trial by jury shall be as heretofore, unquote. Makes you wonder what was heretofore. Or to quote one of my favorite childhood shows, Soupy Sales, what do we mean by that? Yeah, what do we mean by that? In order to understand it, you have to go back to the time. We have to go back to consider the author, William Penn, who wrote most of Article I. He and Benjamin Franklin were the primary authors of Article I, our Declaration of Rights. And, of course, trial by jury is one of them. One thing I like about William Penn, he's a real troublemaker. And he's always getting in trouble with the king. Different things he would do, refuse to do, he would refuse to swear allegiance to the crown. He's a Quaker. Quakers don't swear. So he wouldn't do that. Quakers were being persecuted because the Church of England, Angli- Anglicism, was the, was the state religion. So he was getting arrested every time he would go to any kind of Quaker meeting. Well, of course, he got even. He published all these pamphlets. He was critical of the king, critical of the Church of English, England. And they, he got in trouble for that. They threw him in jail for that. They put him in solitary confinement. And he said, oh, you know what? Give me a pencil, pencil and paper, and you know, maybe I'll, write a, I'll recant this stuff. Well, they gave it to him, and he went on to write even more critical pamphlets, <laughs> and he got them distributed too. I mean, what a troublemaker. My kind of guy. You know, we, have, we, have, we owe a lot to William Penn. He got arrested time and time again for all his activism. But the one big one, this was the one that, that comes back directly to the question of jury duty. 
there was a law that disallowed any kind of religious worship if there were more than five people. I mean, talk about martial law. Wouldn't want to have the National Guard come out and try and enforce that. But he says, yeah, right, the heck with you. He deliberately started preaching in the streets. And, of course, he got himself arrested. And I can't help but think of the parallel because isn't that what Jesus got crucified for, was preaching in the streets. Wouldn't stop. But he got himself arrested. But this time, they wouldn't let him go. They would not let up. They brought him in the court, and the judge refused to tell him the charges. He wouldn't say what, even though the Magna Carta required the judge to do it. The judge wouldn't do it. But the judge said to the jury, you're going to find him guilty no matter what. The jury went away, came back a few minutes later, said, not guilty. The judge went crazy. He says, I don't care if you say not guilty. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have William Penn locked up. He locked up William Penn. He says, and you, the jury, since you didn't listen to me, I'm locking you guys up too, and you're going to stay locked up until you come back with a, not guilty, with a guilty verdict. Well, that caused a bit of a stir among the people because everybody's marching in the streets saying, what are you doing? You can't do this. It's a violation of the Magna Carta and all this. Finally, the judge and the king relented, and they set, the pen, they set William Penn free. They set the jury free. Best part of this story is that established a new legal precedent for a new right known as jury nullification. Not many people know about jury nullification. What it means is that a jury can find you not guilty even though you're guilty as all hell. Doesn't matter what the statute says, doesn't matter what the judge says. If you think no, the answer is no. It established a new weapon, Penn did, against the tyrannical government that we the people can use. Very, very cool. Yes, the government can pass horrible laws, and they do, like the anti-religious laws that the king passed. But we, the people, can override that law if we feel it doesn't apply simply by saying, not guilty. And you know that right of, of jury nullification? It survives to this very day, and it's recognized as part of the English common law. We were talking earlier about French and Spanish. I don't know. Probably. But it remains valid. Do you now see a reason, maybe, why they would want to make jury duty so horrible? Do you think they're trying to prevent somebody from getting on juries? Because we the people have a power, a veto power over their bad laws, a power no judge ever tells it to the jury they have. Instead, judges tell jurors to decide issues of fact. The judge will decide issues of law. No, no. The judge should mention that awesome power that we hold. It's been used many times in history. This is not something new. Before the Civil War, juries would not convict somebody who would help run away slaves. During alcohol prohibition, juries refused to convict people who made their own alcohol. And it turned out more than half of the cases, they kept saying, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, even though the person was guilty. And today, here it's being used in our insane war on drugs, especially on cannabis crimes. Crimes, right? Isn't that an oxymoron? There's no such thing as a cannabis crime unless I steal your pot. Are there laws that you feel are unjust? Not just the war on drugs, tax laws, political correctness laws, maybe even traffic laws, like the speed limit laws that nobody seems to obey. I was talking about, was it episode two, I guess, a long time ago? So if you ever get summoned for jury duty, you should welcome that. In fact, you should be able to volunteer to serve, but they wouldn't let you volunteer. They don't let anybody to do that. Maybe we should have professional jurors, especially in cases where you need an expert witness. But no, no, they're not going to do that. 
because you don't even know that right exists during nullification. Maybe you do, probably don't. And that ignorance cements the lawyer's hold on the justice system. It cements the judge's hold. But it's a situation that where we the people hold a remedy. Jury nullification. William Penn's gift to Pennsylvania. We the people's unstoppable weapon, if only we the people would know. On that sad note, that's going to wrap it up for episode 11 of the Pennsylvania Project. So if you have something to say, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com, and you can hear us there too, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, and whatever your favorite podcast provider is. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 10 a.m. every Saturday at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our technical producer today is Paul Nicotera. Featured Toastmaster narrator is Angie Wei. We, my apologies. Webmaster Stephen Worley, marketing guru Connor Dragotis, keyboard wizard Joe the Pag, executive producer who didn't cough today, Mark Bazzacco, and me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining, and remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem.